All right, everybody, we are back for another episode of the Demand Excellence Podcast. And today I have Coach Rich Finley, the head coach at Bowden High School. He has turned the Bowden football program around. It was at one time a really rich tradition of high school football. Then it kind of went down. He comes and he has turned it around. And, and this podcast is all about calling coaches and learning and growing from each other always interested in how a coach wins. What did you do to get there? So coach, th thanks for being on the show. Give the listener a little bit of background of who you are. You just told me that your dad was a famous high school football coach. Give me your path to Bowden High School. Yes, sir. Well, first I'll, I'll kind of clear what you said earlier about the video. Some of the people watching right now probably know me as the goofy guy that makes the, the once a year off-season videos. And and the other people know me as a head coach at, at Bowden, but uh, I'm in year 28, and the greatest piece of advice I was ever given was by a guy named Tim Barron. He is he was the head coach at Heard County for for a long time, and was at Villarica the past two years, and he has since retired. You know, he told me that uh, I was a goofy, funny guy, and he said, "Don't ever change who you are when you get a head job. Be yourself. Don't don't try to be like anybody else." So I try to do that. But I'm in year 28 and started off up here in the West Georgia area. I was a University of West Georgia football player, and, and I did my student teaching at Carrollton High School. So I ended up coaching my very first year with, with the legendary Ben Scott. I learned a lot from him. I left there and spent four years at Troop High School and uh, enjoyed every bit of that. Left there and spent two years at Villarica High School. And then I got my first D.C. job at Alexander High School in, in 2003 or 2002, became the head coach at Alexander. So I was kind of a big school guy for a long time and went two and 18 in my two years there and ended up leaving and going to Noonan as the strength coach the next year. And then ended up at Heard County, where I fell in love with the small school. Uh, it was the first small school I'd ever been at. They were double A. And I ended up staying nine years there with some really good coaches and, and learned a lot of football there with, with playing guys both ways. And we were in the same region with Bowden, and we played them for the region championship every year. And I thought, man, that's a really good job over there. You know, if it ever came open, I can't be the first guy to put in because whoever put in first was going to follow the legend Dwight Hotstetler, who had won over 300 games, and he's one of the top top seven or eight winning his coaches in the history of Georgia. He had won a couple of state titles. And so I waited and somebody, somebody put in when he stepped down. And then three years later, it opened up. And fortunately for me, I was blessed to get it. And I ended up here at Bowden. And, and it's, you know, it was a tough decision for me because I've got boys that play. My stepsons are in the program. And, you know, I had an opportunity to, to go down to South Georgia for a small school job or, or come up to the West Georgia area for a small school job. And I just looked at both jobs and I thought they were both good. But I thought a consistently good job year in and year out would be the Bowden High School job. And so we took that and knew it was going to take some elbow grease. But very fortunate. My wife was hired as the girls basketball coach when we came and. And I went one and nine and she followed me with 22 and six. So they knew they'd made the right hire in her year one. Yeah. I'm not so sure they did about me. So that's kind of how I got to Bowden High School was actually a strength coach by trade. 
before taking the plunge. And that really came from my second wife. I met her when I was at Herd, and she kept telling me, you know, hey, the, the Lord puts you here to do much more than you're doing. You're cheating your gift, and you're supposed to be doing what Tim Barron has done here. You're supposed to be a builder. You're supposed to go do this and that. And that kind of ate at me for about two years, and, and I knew she was right. And so we took that leap of faith, and, and here we are now, you know, seven years later, and, and, you know, feeling really, really proud of what we built. Absolutely. Well, talk a little bit about that, Coach. So, I mean, that's very interesting to me. You go, and, and, and Bowden was a losing program. I know Coach was famous there, but it was a losing program when you took it over. And you've been able to flip that around, which I think is the sign of a great football coach. And so what, what did you do when you came into Bowden to turn a losing program into a winning program? Well, I got I got two beliefs of, of what it takes to be successful. And, and by no means do I have a monopoly on what, what it takes to be successful. But these two things I'm very passionate about. One is relationships. I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean relationships with your players and your kids. When they know that you, you, you care about them, you can put them through tough and hard things and they're going to do it. They're going to show up for you. They're going to play extremely hard on Friday. And I hope that's what people see on film. So I knew that I wanted to hire coaches that were going to be great with kids and get kids to want to be at everything. And then my second, I guess, philosophy is, is your first sport is the weight room. Your second sport is whatever you're, you're playing. Uh, for a baseball player, your first sport is the weight room, being you're a baseball player. Your first sport is a football player. You're, you're a weight room guy. Then you're a football player. Girls basketball, weight room. Then you're a basketball player. And if you get kids to buy into that, they're going to be so much better on the field. And, and you know, the, the funny thing, you say that, that the program was two and eight. And everybody told me I couldn't do any worse, you know, my first year there. We were one and nine. So we, we were actually worse, you know. So I was three and 27 in my first three years as a head coach and, and we're 27 and three the last two years, but it was a process. When I took the job, I had a, a division one player leaving the program to go to a program that was more successful. And, and he's a great kid, man. He's, he's still playing college football. Now he's a graduate student. And I sat down with that kid. Now, obviously I wanted to talk him into staying, but I wanted to know why he was leaving. And so the first thing he said, we had 27 players returning that were on the roster, which is small for class eight. You know, we carry 55 to 65 now. And I said, you know, what, what, why are you leaving? And he said, coach, you're not going to get the kids here in the summer. They're not going to show up. And, you know, I looked at him and said, I, I'll be able to get them here. You know, I'm, I'm pretty confident in that. I said, coach, we don't, we don't kill it in the weight room. They don't, they don't, the, the culture isn't there. And, and all those things, stuck to me because they're all things that I think are are important. So, you know, the first thing was to build the relationships and we had 53 kids year two. So we had doubled the number of kids who were out. And of course, our, our weight program, I'm not going to say that what we do is better than anybody, but our culture is really, really good. Our, our kids, they have Twitter. They see what people are doing and they bought into the weight room and we got a lot bigger and stronger from year one to year two. And in year one, I did what a lot of coaches won't do. The, the culture wasn't where it needed to be. We had some very, very talented young players coming up, ninth and 10th graders and some, some rising eighth graders. You know, we actually got rid of 11 players that, that were not meeting the standard of what we thought 
was what we needed to win. And by doing that, those young, those young kids played. And by year two, you know, we were the number two team in the state until we got put out of the playoffs that year. So, you know, just to kind of reiterate what, what my two points are. One, you got to have relationships where kids, you have to beat them away with a stick. You got to, you got to beat them out of the field house at the end of the day. You got to beat them out of the weight room. You got to beat them off the practice field. Our kids love to be at everything that we do. So the, the relationships is very important. And then they have to understand that the weight room is more important than anything else they're doing until it's time to go out and practice football. Talk about that a little bit. Like weight room is more important, but I guess you'd have to spend a lot of time building relationships with your baseball coach, with your basketball coach, so that they believe in it as well. How do you do that? Well, that that's a process. And, and we're still in that process here. So it, it's getting better and better. You know, I'm a firm believer, like the way we do our weight classes, we break them up. We have half our kids come in at 830. The other half are in the 930 class. And and the reason we do that is because if you have all 60 or if you're in a big program, you have 120 kids in there, you have less time to spend with those kids. We like the relationship part. We've got three or four coaches in the weight room. And if you've got 25 or 30 kids, man, you can you can talk to kids about things other than football you can you can kind of develop those relationships so if a kid is a multi-sport kid if he plays football he's in there and we're gonna do what we're doing in that class regardless of whether we're playing three baseball games that week two basketball games that week my kids my my own kids are football basketball baseball They're, they're your traditional athlete you know i'm gonna throw it on each one of mine I don't know if you can put that on there, but if they come in and say, I got a basketball game today, I can't lift. You know, we're going to lift. Our our modifications come when we're playing for championships. We're playing for a region championship. We're in the region tournament. We're going to modify. And we're not going to let those kids be burnt out, dead-legged or dead-armed that day. They have a separate or a different workout they're going to do. Same thing during baseball season. You know, we'll modify for a pitcher only. We're not modifying for an outfielder or a first baseman. You know, they're going to do what we're doing that day in the weight room. If we're playing for region championships, region championship series, then we're going to modify those workouts. So I think that's a big, big part for people. You got to develop kids at the same time in the weight room as you are baseball. And and they have to understand that, yeah, championships are, are, are more important. Your, your other games are games you're doing just to get better for the opportunity to play in championships. You know, some of our one-sport guys, like say they're just a basketball kid or a baseball kid, we don't let them in that class unless they come and and, and look us in the eyes and say, hey, you know, I want to be in the football class doing what they're doing. And and they have to sit there and tell me they're going to do what we're doing. And and the only reason I'm I'm that way about that is, is if you have five kids in there who all of a sudden – you know, it's it's three games that week in baseball or, or two in basketball, and they're wanting to do something else. Eventually, they're going. The culture is going to come down where other kids are wanting to modify themselves and not do what they're supposed to. So we have non-football players that are in there, but it takes time. I mean, we're in the in the process of that. The, the best place I've ever been with that culture was Heard County High School, where man, their their basketball coach Helen Aikens, girls basketball coach, she would send me a rubric every Friday and I had to rate her girls one through three one being their minimum two being they're doing what what we asked three they're going above and beyond and you know I made the mistake of rating two of her girls a two which is 
doing what we asked. And, and like, she didn't let them play in the game that night. She wanted to be above and beyond. And what people don't realize, it's not about what we're doing in the weight room. It's about the accountability. It's about the culture. It's about being a winner. And if you have those type of kids in your sport, you're going to win and you're going to play for region championships. You're going to play for state championships. I tell people all the time, it's not what we do in the weight room. It's the accountability. It's, it's you know, hey, it takes what it takes, you know, and, and the no excuses of trying to find a way to get out of something. You know, our culture right now is so good. It is player-led. And our kids come up with standards. If, if a kid is late, because we, we have a dynamic warm-up when at 829, the music cranks up. If you're late, you have a 100-yard sled push, and the kids came up with that before you can start your workout because they want everybody. There's no prima donnas doing their own stretching. You know, your best players aren't standing there watching everybody warm up, and, and that's been the case at schools I've been at where they're trying to do their own thing everybody's the same. You know, I don't care if you scored 58 touchdowns, which we had a kid do that this year, and he was our best weight room kid, which helped us. Or if you're the guy opening holes and you're not going to score a touchdown, you know, the standard's the same. If you miss school during the week, you know, we had kids whose, whose parents may not be there to get them up in the morning. They're, they're given a little bit of freedom to come to school and not come to school. You know, we wanted to end that because we feel like if one player is in the weight room five days a week, they all should be. So if a kid misses without a doctor's note, it's a 200-yard sled push the day they come back. And we don't have to police that. Our players police that. Our kids know that standard. They go hit the sled, then they come in and work out. If you have a doctor's note, then, then you're good to go. We're just trying to prevent the kid who's tired, got the sniffles, or just doesn't feel like coming to school that day. Because in the real world, you got to be a daddy every day. In the real world, you got to go to work every day. You don't lose your job. You can't come in 10 minutes late. You can't come in five minutes late. So we're just trying to set that accountability, doing what you're supposed to do, even as a kid or a player, you don't understand why. Because at some point on Friday night, you're going to have to do exactly what your coach to do, stop somebody or score on somebody. And we just we developed that from January to August before the season ever starts. No, Coach, that's beautiful. Loved everything you just said and 100% agree with everything that you just said. It's cool to see how you've implemented that and just the culture that you've created. Speaking of that, I'm going to come back to X's and O's, but you mentioned it earlier. Every year you do a little funny video. I, I mean, me personally, I love it. You say a lot of things that a lot of football coaches want to say. But talk about that a little bit like your core philosophy in that weight room. I mean, you're kind of arguing with or bantering with or poking fun at the new age strength coach. And I think the disconnect always comes to this. Like we lift weights to, to be a better football player. Like what you just said, like we're in that weight room. There's no better classroom in the world to teach accountability and no excuses and toughness. And it, there's a difference, like, because if you're if you're just a strength coach and you don't understand that, it can become almost like you're a personal fitness instructor and you're not developing that core mental toughness of the athlete. Talk a little bit about that. Well, first, you know, I respect both avenues, you know, and, and I understand there's a difference. A, a a strength coach who's not coaching a sport, his job is a little different than my job, who where I am coaching a sport, and I'm coaching a sport that if I'm not successful at it, 
I'm going to be coaching it somewhere else. You know, I'm going to have to pick up my family and move. I think there's merits to all different types of, of workouts, heavy lifting, explosive lifting, speed training. There's merits to all that. But I do think that the word mental toughness is is taboo in one of those, and it's not taboo in, in the sport coach world. And, and I do believe that mentally tough kids win championships. Uh, mentally tough kids battle mental health issues a lot better than kids without it. And, you know, at some point, you, you, the team that's going to win a championship is, is the more mentally tough team and the more physical team. I do believe that. You have to beat somebody better than you to do that. You know, if I sat here and said that, you know, we, we have tremendous talent. We're, we're, we were, the last two years, we've been one of the probably top five most talented teams in Class A. However, both of those years, there were teams who were more talented than us that we had to go through, and we had to beat those teams. And it was because we were mentally tougher than those teams. But just to kind of let both sides know what we do, you know, we, we break, and I did a, a clinic presentation last Friday over what we kind of do between January and August. And, and I've heard strength coaches argue that what you do between January and August, August has no bearing on your football team in the fall. And, and you know, I, I 100% disagree with that. I think all the accountability, all the, the mental toughness, all the, the standards you set, or they're habitual. And I think that when August comes, man, you're, you're, it's like a machine by then. You know, the one year that I thought we weren't a very good football team since I've been here was the COVID year when we didn't get to see our players from January to August, you know, that, that hurt our program. So, you know, our philosophy, number one is we want our kids to have fun. We want them to want to be in the weight room. We don't, we don't want kids to, to be hiding. We don't want them to dread it. And it's crazy because our kids love the weight room, but yet they work extremely hard in there. And, and we had that culture at Heard County a few years ago. And, and I remember Tim Barron coming to me. He was the head football coach at the time. And we sat down and he said, all right, you're in there killing those kids. And they come back every day smiling and like, they can't wait to jump in there. He said, what can we do to create that culture on the football field when it's 100 degrees? What, what, that was our big discussion then. And we talked about, you know, what we could do to do that. So, you know, we feel like we have that here. Our kids love to be in the weight room. They love to be at practice. They're, they're not dreading it and wanting to go home and, and those sort of things. And when you got a helmet on and it's 100 degrees, you, you better love being out there and it better be fun. Or, you know, it's, it's, it's something a kid may not stick with or do. But an overview of what we do, you know, we come in January, February, those whole two months, we do no speed work, not to say we don't do some explosive lifting with our heavy lifting, but we're kind of bulking. You know, we feel like we got a lot of blue collar kids that that need to get bigger and stronger. Our skill kids need to get bigger and stronger. And we break it up to where we have something fun or a test for our kids to compete every two months. So for this one, we do the GACA weightlifting meet. We go compete for the state championship in weightlifting. So our kids kind of have an, an end game. Hey, we got eight weeks of lifting, two months of lifting, and then we, we got to go in front of a, an audience in, in the bleachers. We got to go compete with, you know, eight or nine different Class A teams to go win a weight meet. And so we do that. You know, we reward our kids if they win a state title. We get them a ring for it. You know, we get them Army issue, Bowden gear to wear for that weight meet. Just gives them another set of clothes. And then we honor all our state champions by putting their picture and weight class up in the weight room 
for everybody to see, and it'll be there forever. So once we hit that weight meet, we go on our next two-month block where we start our speed work portion. So we start doing our measurables. And, you know, we kind of tell our kids, we're getting you prepared for any showcase or combine you're going to go to for recognition, for colleges. So we start doing our speed work and we cut back on our death by squats. We don't do that stuff during that time. Now we still lift, you know, to max out. And what we do at the end of that two months in May, instead of spring football practice, we don't have all our kids anyway, for not for 10 days we won't because they all run track. They play baseball, they play tennis, they play basketball, they play soccer. So we have a three-day combine after school. We find three days that all the kids are not doing their, their second sport. We bring our eighth graders up. Sometimes we bring our rec kids up and we do a spring combine where, you know, we put all our kids in their Bowden gear and we test them in the 40. We do the L drills. We do the short shuttles. We, we do laser 40s too. So we don't have them. Our kids actually know what they run. Right. Um, but we do a lot of the, the speed and agility testing. You know, we're going to, we're going to max them out on a squat, a clean and a bench. So they get, get an opportunity to compete again. We let parents come to that. College coaches who are coming around to visit kids, you know, they, they won't get to see us practice, but at least they can come see a kid move, bend in the hips, see if they can change directions. So we use that for that as well for, for our college kids that are being looked at. So that's kind of our spring practice. We kind of make sure we got kids in the right positions going into summer workouts that summer. So school ends, and then we have our last two-month block where we go June and July, and we do a big, and this is a big deal for our program, we do our Iron Red Devil competition. We've got a six-event competition, 30-point rubric for the six events. And we crown an Iron Red Devil champion based on three movement events, speed events, and then three lifts. We crown a weight champion of the strongest overall kid in the program. So those kids get their pictures put in the weight room in a different section for being the, the Iron Red Devil champion, Iron Red Devil weight champion. We honor our top 10 strongest kids by putting them in the football program and our top five freshmen. So we make it a big deal to compete. And instead of saying, hey, guys, we're going to start lifting in January to make us better football players in August, kids can't see that far ahead. But if we say, hey, we're, we're, we're lifting January and February to go compete in the state championships, you're going to get a lot out of those kids trying to get stronger. Then if they know, hey, the community's coming out in May, the eighth graders are coming up and the rec ball kids, and I want to show off in front of them, they're going to work hard for, for that testing. And then, of course, that that competition, the, the last two days of summer before the first two official practices, we finish up with that Iron Red Devil competition. You know, we compete. We announce the winners. Last year, we went to a lake. We took the whole team. We went swimming. We went and got pizza. You know, we used to in the in the old school days, we would spend the night that night and do. And we still do the skits. We have our players. It's the one day a year they can make fun of the coaches. So each grade has to do a skit on things that have happened during the summer, seven on seven, any practices on the field. And man, they, they have a great time making fun. You know, yeah. kids love you when they can imitate you. And our kids get us good. So we pick a winning class on that each year if we had the best skit making fun of the coaches. But again, it, it just creates those relationships and kids wanting to be around you and wanting to hang out. So that's kind of how we, we break our 
strength program down, there's an end goal every two months for our kids instead of just trying to look way down the line. No, that's awesome, Coach. So, man, definitely love the weight room philosophy and how you progress at the football season. How does that being bigger, being faster, being stronger, being all those things? Okay, so talk about your identity as a football coach. Like when I say identity, like what do you want to do offensively? What do you want to do defensively? Like when I was watching the Lions and the 49ers on this past weekend on Sunday night, it was just awesome to watch the physicality of both teams. Like you knew what both teams were all about. I didn't really see that in the Ravens chiefs game, the physicality, but so who are you and how do you use the weight room to make your identity from an offensive defensive standpoint? Well, from, from an overall standpoint, we want to be the most physical football team on the field every Friday night. And that's an identity we've been trying to achieve. You know, we were not that in every game the first four years that we were here. We're, we, we just finished year six. We do feel like we were that team the last two years. And uh, the weight room has a lot to do with that. You know, on the offensive side of the ball, you know, we've got some some good backs, some good quarterbacks, and we've got some good receivers. But the guys that win and lose, and for us to, to win championships, the guys up front, we tell our linemen, you know, we, we want to be able to run the football against everybody. And, you know, we tell our linemen that they have to win each week. And we also tell our skill guys that they're willing to be the most physical skill kids on the field. That's going to help us win and be successful on Friday night. So from an offensive standpoint, we want to be physical and mash people off the ball and be able to run the football. From a defensive standpoint, we really preach two things. One, we want to be physical enough to stop the run, but we also want to play fast enough. We want to understand our fits. And when we recognize where we're supposed to be, we want to be there as fast as we can get there. You know, if you do those two things and keep your scheme simple, you know, you force people to beat you, not not help them out by making a mistake or, or blowing a coverage or blowing an assignment. So the weight room, you know, 100% helps us in that regard. I think this year, We've been number one in Russian the last two years at our classification, but we were number two in, the, in all classifications this past year in Russian yards. And we had five new linemen this year. You know, we, we graduated all five, like four of them went to play college football off our first title team. So we had five newbies up there who were not great early in the year, but got better and better and better each game. We return all five this year, so we're pretty excited about that. And our backs are too. They know what them guys are going to do for them up front. But uh, but yes, we're a we're a physical. We're going to take it to somebody, and we're going to be the more physical kids on the field on Friday night. Absolutely. Now, it sounds like nobody probably wants to play you this year. Talk a little bit about that. People don't understand that you 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 start winning and you're you're winning championships, and but at the end of the day, you're still a single A football program. Your numbers are still single A. But I always found this out. At Elka, like, I can't go down in classifications to schedule somebody. Like a 7A school, like, you know, they'll pay you $15,000 to come play them so they can beat you. But you you can't do that. You can't go lower. And really, when you're scheduling games besides out your side of your region, you're, you're, nobody wants to play you. Like, you're not going to find anybody that wants to play you. How, so talk about, people don't understand that, how hard it is to schedule now that y'all are winning. 
Well, it was that way when we were one and nine, and it's gotten a lot tougher now that that we've won. I I, I can promise you, I probably made two hundred phone calls this offseason trying to get people from Florida, Alabama, Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, you know, to to schedule a game. And here's the tough part about it: everybody says, "Well, man, you you need to be playing, you know, Prince Avenue or or Hebron or you know GAC or." Hero and, and those people, they don't understand that we've got 55 kids and, and probably probably 18 of those kids are going to play both ways. Now, if, if we have a kid start on one side of the ball, he plays 50% on the other side, no matter how good he is. You know, we do one and a half players, but we play a lot of guys both ways. And last year, we had a 7A opponent on our schedule. We had a 4A opponent on our schedule. And, and if I look at our schedule right now, the, the five games that we scheduled, all of them are, are larger classification schools except for one, and that's Macon County, and they were a quarterfinal team. So, I mean, you know, you're, you're playing good people, and the problem's not playing good people. The problem is when you start playing the big schools. We played Central Carrollton this year, and they were a 12-1, and one, you know, 4A school. And, and we played hard and hung with them. It was 14-6 at the half, but – in that second half, when none of their kids on offense are playing D and none of their kids on D are playing O, you know, our kids get wore down and then you get one or two of those kids hurt, it, it can cost you playing playing deep during your season. So it's, it's not that you're scared to play better people. I, I think that's how you get better. You know, we, we love to play bigger people. But if you play too many of those bigger people, you're beat up when you get in the region. It can affect you winning the region title and getting that one seed coming out. You know, last year or two years ago, I think we had one of the toughest schedules in the state because we we played, I think, five quarterfinal teams and two semifinal teams in the regular season. You know, that's not counting playoff teams. And and we made it through that healthy, and we were battle-tested when it started. You know, this year we were kind of banged up when we, when we rode into the playoffs and kind of had to heal up in that playoff process by playing those bigger teams. But, uh, and I get, I get it too, because everybody wants to schedule a few wins. You know, I like to schedule somebody that I think is way better than us. And then you mm-hmm. want to follow up with one you think you can play in, you know, where you're not just physically getting beat down. Then another one where, you know, you find out. And if you look at our schedule now, we're, we're going to play in Bearsville in our opening scrimmage, because I know they're going to be a big physical team. And then they'll give us the test of whether, where where we think we are with our kids and our physicality. Right. Then we're going to turn around and scrimmage Callaway, who who were the 2020 state champions, and you know they're going to be extremely fast and look like some of these South Georgia teams, Irwin Brooks, Clance, that we're going to see if, yeah. if we make it to round three. So we're, we're trying to get a look at that, and of course those teams are good, but they're not four A teams where like their kids are going to play both ways too, and and you can handle playing some of that uh, in that schedule. So Georgia High School, you know, they they changed the classification. How does that impact Bowden, if if it does at all? Well, it really brings Brooks and Irwin and Metter back down. But but me personally, you know, I'm excited about that. I, I know when I I took this job, we went one and nine. I went to the Dome. That was, they still play that. That was one of the last few games at the old Georgia Dome. And Clinch and Irwin were playing for the title. And I went to that game because I wanted to see what the best prize. I think they played each other about three times in a row. 
That's right. I wanted to see what the best programs were doing. Kind of like what you're saying. You're, you're interviewing people in, that, that are winning and successful. I want to see how many kids, what they look like. And I remember telling another head coach in class A school, you know, hey, that's that's what we want to be at Bowden. And and I know there were some snickers then and, and some laughs because we were not that. We were one and nine and, and not very good. But now after winning back to back, we just did what those teams did. So, you know, when we have yet to play Clinch, we've yet to play Irwin, and, and we would like to see where where we stack up, you know, even if we get beat by 21, you know, can, can we play with those guys? And, you know, Clinch had been down here with us. They hadn't made it to us yet, you know. And, and you know, so we want to know what we're doing. And, you know, speaking of visiting schools, and, and I probably should have said this back with the weightlifting piece because it just popped in my head. But when I was at Heard County, you know, doing what you're talking about, visiting the successful programs, when we were trying to create our weight room culture, the head coach there, Tim Bayer, and like we planned a trip and went and visited what we thought was the premier program in the state in small school back then. It was beautiful. So you, you go up there and watch them in the weight room and you see that culture of kids working out. No coaches really in there having to push them. It's on the board. They're doing it. The culture was tremendous and we wanted to create that. So. You know, a lot of what we've done here is we've gone to the to the best programs and tried to mimic what we thought was good out of those programs and, and create those things here. And what we didn't like, we don't do. All right. So, Coach, as we wrap it up, it's been a great interview, actually. I've learned a lot. What What do you think? You know, there's young coaches out there. There's old coaches out there. There's guys in between. I think you and I are still in between. And and. You know, what? what is one of your biggest struggles as a head coach, just managing life and family and, and you know, being a dad, not just to, to your kids, but to the kids you coach, you know, you're very relational. What's the biggest struggle and what have you done to try to overcome it? Well, I think you always look at year 28 for me, you know, the, the things that were, were tough for me, obviously the, the day and age that I came into, and I hate using the word entitled, but it's it's just different now where I knew there was a process. I needed to be the best linebacker coach I could be for the guy that hired me. I needed to be the best assistant coach. I needed to be the best field liner offer. You know, wanted to, and, and there are still coaches like that, but finding the medium. I think that being too old school is not good in this day and age. I think that being too millennial is not good in this day age because you got guys I've had guys interview with me fresh out of college, you know, saying, hey, coach, I can run your defense if you want me to. You know, and I'm sitting here thinking, you know, it took me 28 years to learn how to win as a head coach. And you're telling me you're ready to, to stop somebody year one. And maybe that's a, a 1% of the population could do that. But I think, you know, learn football, be great at whatever you're hired at, you know, be great at that. And, you know, obviously I think that, Coaching is the greatest sport in the world for a kid. Like my dad was a coach and I thought he had the greatest job in the world. And a lot of my time with my dad, I mean, I was a ball boy. I stood on the sidelines. I thought that everybody else's in my, in my first, second, third grade classes, their parents had boring jobs. I thought they were all envious of what I got to do. I think that it's, it's time, family time well spent. You know, we have five kids in my family from 20. My oldest son is actually a coach. He is student teaching at Carrollton High School, and he's their JV soccer coach. He was a soccer player. I'm all the way down to my three-year-old son, who's still grabbing my leg when I come home. 
involve your kids. All our kids, they know what the B means at Bowden. They wear it. And they'll tell you if they see somebody in a blue shirt, that's our rival. They'll say, boo, there's a, there's a blue devil. And it's great family time. And, and you know, as, as much as I want to be a, a role model as a coach, and then I want people when I'm done to say, hey, he was a really good coach. He was really great for kids. But but when I'm gone, I want my kids to say, man, he was one of the best dads ever. You know, he was one of the best daddies that he could be. And, you know, the moment I get home, I shut it down and, and I'm going to give my kids, you know, those couple of hours before bedtime. And I'm going to give that to my wife. And, and you know, when it's time to come back to work, I'm gonna, before I go to bed, I do a to-do list of all the things I need to accomplish so that I'm ready when I get to school. But But I want things done you know, before I leave. And I think there is a balance. When I got in this, I was told you're either going to be a great coach or a great husband. You can't be both. And, and I think that's, that's false. I don't think you can be a great coach without being great. You know, it's, it's not a switch. And we tell our kids that all the time. Winner's not a sometimes thing. Like you're going to do it all the time. You know, I want you to be a, be a really good football player on, on Friday night, but I want you to be a good boyfriend to your girlfriend. You know, I want you to be a good son to your mom. You know, I want you to be a good person in the school building. It's not a, it's not a sometimes thing. And that's the biggest thing that you preach to, to coaches and kids, especially young coaches. You know, being a good coach isn't just when you're in the film room watching film because you're excited about your RPOs and, and what you know as a player and what you did in college. It goes beyond that. You know, hey, let's get the field set up. Take as much passion with that. You know, let's make sure our players are out of the locker room on time. Take as much, as much passion with that. Hey, this kid needs his wrist tape. Take passion with that. Be a winner, you know, in everything that you do, and, and you'll be successful. Absolutely. Well, Coach, this has been great. I really appreciate it. There's really, really good stuff on here. Just really appreciate you being on the show. If you don't mind, I'm going to pray for us as we end. Yes, sir. Lord, we're coming for you today. Just want to praise and thank you for Coach and just everything that he's doing there at Bowden. It's just awesome to hear him talk about relationships and how that's the core of who they are. And that's how he builds the program and gets the kids to buy in. And Lord, he's there working and he's helping every one of those boys to become better and to reach their dreams. And then also while being a great husband and a great dad. And Lord, we just really appreciate him. Uh, I just pray that you would just continue to bless him and continue to give him success. Lord, we love him. We praise you in Jesus name. Amen. All right, coach. I appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate it. And it was awesome to put a face with the name. So next yep. time I, I see you, I'll come up, shake your hand and, and strike up conversation with you. But, Absolutely. Uh, all right, coach. Enjoyed it. Thank yes, you sir. very much. Thank you.